Didn't realize this would be so emotional for me. But I'm so thankful for that song and what it expresses, what God has done in his work through your lives. What an opportunity he's given us to share in his work, his ministry. Do something a little different. We are going to read our scripture, and our scripture is found in Galatians chapter 6. So if you would, turn there with me. Then after the reading of scripture, before I pray, we're going to go over our covenant with the most recent person who's been brought into membership here. He's going to come, Craig is going to come forward after the scripture and read through the covenant. Now we, um, let's do that. We'll have, uh, I don't have enough copies for everybody, but I think if every family would take one. Can I get uh, a couple ushers to just hand this out? hand them out as far as they'll go. Can I get one of those too? I didn't keep one for myself. Thank you. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, our ushers have some in the back and they can bring one to you if you raise your hand. So let's all stand together in respect to the reading of God's holy word, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Craig, would you come at this time and... Lead us in the reading of our covenant. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. 
Having been led by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus as our personal Savior and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized by immersion and obedience to his word, we willingly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Therefore, we will, with the help of the Holy Spirit, honor Jesus Christ in our efforts to advance his cause, walk together in Christian love, strive for the advancement of this church, attendance services regularly, sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, contribute cheerfully, regularly, and liberally to the support of the ministry, the expense of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel both at home and abroad. We will maintain family and private devotions, train our children according to the word of God, seek the salvation of relatives and acquaintances, walk wisely by being honest and exemplary in our conduct, dress modestly and appropriately, avoid all tattling, gossiping, and unrighteous anger, abstain from all drugs, food, drink, and practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own or another's faith, abstain from all forms of activity which dishonor our Lord Jesus Christ, be zealous in our efforts to advance the cause of our Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, we will watch over one another in brotherly love, bear one another's burdens, admonish and encourage one another as occasion may require, and remember one another in prayer. If we move from this area, we will unite as soon as possible with another Bible-believing church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of the Word of God. Amen. Let's commit ourselves anew and fresh to the covenant that we just read. Let's have a word of prayer. After prayer, our choir will come the special music, and then the preaching of God's word. So would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for allowing us to worship you today, bring you glory, to acknowledge you and your work that has gone on in our lives and in this ministry for now 27 years. We thank you for your work. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you. And we pray, Lord, that you would Allow this work to be fruitful, that it might bring glory to you. We thank you for how you have started, how you have sustained it, and how you have encouraged it. We thank you for each person that you've used in this ministry, those who serve right now and those who have served in the past. And we pray and just thank you as we give you the glory. We celebrate what you have done and what you are doing. We pray and we thank you for, we acknowledge those who are no longer here, those who are there with you, yeah. gone on to, to be with you. Yeah. I, that's our goal, Lord. We want to be faithful until you call us to be with you. Yeah. Help us to continue this work until that time you call us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
On a hill called Calvary, there stands an endless mercy tree. Every broken, weary soul, find your rest and be made whole. Stripes of blood that stain its frame, shed to wash away our shame from the scars pure love released salvation by the mercy tree in the sky between two thieves hung the blameless prince of peace Bruised and battered, scarred and scorned, his sacred head pierced by our thorns. It is those who deserted and corrupted the gospel. And so the focus is on the gospel as he writes. Now, I want you to be thinking then, what does chapter 6 have to do with the gospel? focuses on the gospel. He states the gospel as he begins his letter. You wonder, how is the gospel stated in Galatians? It's, it's, it's stated in chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Let me read that. Galatians 1, 3 through 5 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So he starts off with that, that brief discussion, and in, that, in that, those few verses, he states the gospel. What then is the gospel that he states? He starts off with the phrase, grace to you and peace. Under each one of these phrases, I'm going to give a question that is answered in this phrase. This, this first phrase, we look at the question, what do we need? What do we require from God? What must we have to have right relationship with God? Or what must we have to be in, to live in heaven eternally? Well, he answers that by grace and peace. We need God's favor. We need to be reconciled in our relationship with our creator, God. The Bible lets us know every individual has that need. And if that need isn't fulfilled, we will spend eternity apart from God in judgment. So we need his grace, his undeserved favor. We need his peace, a peace that comes, uh, our relationship, being at peace with God, with what, with what, he, uh, what he does. The next question that's answered is who must provide this? How do we get this grace and this peace? What well, it says, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace and this peace comes from God and Jesus Christ, from God and Jesus only. 
It doesn't come through any other means. Look, you're not going to discover your inner self and be at peace with everything and be right with God. It doesn't come that way. It's not going to come by you fasting. It's not going to come by you feasting. It's not going to come by you becoming righteous in and of yourself, discovering yourself in some way. It's not going to come by you dedicating yourself to some other religion or some kind of way. It's going to come from God and Jesus and from God and Jesus alone. Notice he says, from God and Jesus. There's a lot of religions that talk about God. They call him by different names and different phrases. But they claim to be in tune with God. But they ignore Jesus. They have no room for Jesus. The Bible makes it clear, grace and peace come from God the Father and Jesus. You can't take Jesus out of that equation and have the gospel. You can't get, have, take Jesus out of that equation and have peace and right relationship with God. Without Jesus, that is impossible. So it's God and Jesus that provide this grace and this peace that we need. The third question, how was this grace and this peace provided for us? The third phrase, it says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. It's referring to Jesus Christ. Simply, Jesus died for our sins. He's a substitutionary sacrifice for sin for those who trust in him. In other words, Jesus as a substitute, he stood in the place where I should have stood. I should have been on the cross condemned to death for my sin. You should have been on that cross condemned to death for your sin. In fact, we stood condemned. And Jesus took our place. For those who trust in Jesus, he is the one that is condemned instead of us. For those who don't trust in Jesus, they themselves will be condemned by God eternally. Jesus takes the place for all those who trust in him. That's how this grace and this peace is provided to us. As he continues in the gospel, he says, he answers another question. Uh, question, what does Christ's work accomplish when he gave himself for our sins? What does that accomplish for us? He says in the phrase, deliver to deliver us from the present evil age. Christ works, Christ's work gives us freedom from the penalty, from the power, from the presence of sin. It gives us victory. Gives us freedom from the penalty of sin. We no longer have to suffer the penalty that Jesus suffered for us in our place. It gives us freedom or power over the, the, the power of sin in our lives. Sin's power, its reign in our lives starts to dwindle because of Jesus' work in us. We should see that continuing, growing in our lives. 
and it gives us, it frees us from the presence of sin, not right now. We're all around sin, but one day we will be where sin will not be allowed. We'll be in heaven. We'll be totally clear from the total presence of sin. And that's what Jesus Christ's work provides for us. Next question, whose plan is this? Whose plan is it to accomplish this? He says, according to the will of God our Father. It's God's plan, it's not ours. And it's a good thing that it's his plan because he accomplishes it. If it was our plan, we might fail to accomplish it, but he does not fail to accomplish his plan and his purpose. I'm glad to know it's our plan because no one can, can take it away. I'm glad to know it's God's plan. No one can take it away from us. No, can, no one can tell us anything differently. So here's the gospel here, and he says this. The last question we can ask is, who gets the glory in this? And he answers that when he says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you see how the gospel is said? It's a part of God's plan. It's one that delivers us from our sin and the penalty that we face. It puts that penalty on Jesus. It does it in such a way that the glory goes to God. God approves of it. He says, amen to this. That's the gospel that's proclaimed in Galatians. And that's the gospel that, that is the basis for this book. And what we see in the rest of the book, really, is the result of the gospel. What happens when the gospel takes root in a person's life? We see several things that happens. One of the things is that Paul defends that gospel because he has a heart for it. He's been changed by that gospel. He wants to see that gospel go out in its pure form and impact the lives of others. But he also sees what that gospel does when it impacts the lives of others. He says, we are no longer slaves, but free. We are free when the gospel comes and impacts our lives. In chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, Galatians 4, 3, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We're free. We're no longer slaves but we are free. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But verse 3, in the same way, we were enslaved, but now we are free. We're no longer slaves, but we're sons. In verse 6 it says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We are sons of God, related uniquely to him. And because we are children or sons of God, we are heirs. In other words, what he has, he has laid out for us. The end of verse 6, going into verse 7, it says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And really, the rest just encourages us to live that way. To live as free 
children of God, sons of God, who are heirs of all that God has given us. We're encouraged to continue to live in our freedom. In chapter 4, verse 10, He says, you observe days and months, seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. He says, these believers were entangled back in the same things that they had been a slave to. He says, you shouldn't do that. You need to walk and live in the freedom that God has given you. In chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He invites, he encourages us to live in the freedom that God has purchased, that Christ has purchased for us. In chapter 5, verse 7, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He encourages them to continue to live in this freedom, not to be hindered by those who... Uh, um, who distorted the gospel. In this freedom, we're encouraged to serve one another. Look at verse 13. Because, you know, he brings this up because oftentimes we think about freedom. I'm free to do whatever I want. And he says, no, you're free to serve God. And in serving God, you're going to serve one another. Look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We're getting closer and closer to that point in chapter 6 that should help us see what it is the gospel does in our lives, how it impacts us. We're free to serve We've been called to serve. In verse 16, he says, we're encouraged to walk by the Spirit. And then he comes into chapter 6. You wonder the connection that it has. Chapter 6 deals with this. We are encouraged to care for one another. Brother Craig read the, the covenant that each one of us as members went through in our new membership class. And we signed that covenant, our commitment to God and our commitment to each other. In that covenant, express exactly what's coming here in chapter 6. And that is that we have the responsibility to care for one another. That's because of the gospel. He says, when the gospel impacts your life, you will be set free. You will be set free to minister to each other, to care for each other because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done in your heart and in your life. Let's see what that looks like here in chapter 6. First of all, in verse 1, we restore those caught in sin. I'm thankful for sweet communion because sweet communion is willing to do in obedience to God what many churches don't do at all. And that is to hold people accountable to the point of church discipline in a biblical sense and in a biblical way. And people today don't want that. I see so many people come through the doors of our church and they talk to me, you know. Over the years, I've, I've, I've gotten a knack. I've been able to read through people. 
And I can see what people want. They, they want to come into a church where they can kind of, you know, feel holy but do their own thing. They don't really want accountability. And I test them. I, I, I test them by, by, by saying things to them and, and teaching them. And see if they really want to learn. Do, do they want to be accountable before God's people? Ask them questions. Where do you work? What do you do? What kind of life do you live? Are you married? Are you single? Did you go to school? Ask these questions. They want to know. And, you know, some people are like, hey, you're asking too many questions. You're getting a little bit personal. Don't want to get personal. Just want to come and go through the motions of living holy and be okayed, but don't really want to be accountable to God's people. They want to sit on the outskirts, but don't really want to be connected. If you're here today and that's you, God is challenging you to stop thinking that way and to think in the way that he would have you to think. So in Galatians chapter 6, he said, when the gospel has impacted your life, one of the things you're going to do, you're going to be a part of restoring you who are spiritual, he says, restore those who are captive to sin. And that's one thing that we need to do and continue to do and be faithful. Now, he gives us a caution. Watch for yourself. Don't think you're something when you're nothing. Because there's others who want to come in, look, you don't have to ask questions about me. I'm already qualified to do this and to do that. Oh, are you really? It says have a right attitude towards yourself. And so one of the things that we do is, is, is he says restore. You are spiritual. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. The second thing I see in this chapter that, that we are to do as an impact of the gospel because the gospel has impacted our lives, because the gospel has set us free, because the gospel encourages us to live in that freedom and live out that freedom. The gospel encourages us to walk in the spirit, live regularly, daily, all time, 24-7, directed by the Holy Spirit. He says it's going to affect the interactions that you have with each other. Verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. When he says the law of Christ, I think he's, he's just, he's, it's almost like a play on words. I've been challenging you in taking the, the law and lifting it up and, and being legalistic with it. But if there's any law you need to take, he says, it's the law of Christ. It's the law of Christ. It's the law that says Christ gave his life for his people. Are you willing to give your life? Or give up yourself for God's people. It's the law of Christ. And how do you do that? Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. So it's saying, don't just come to church. Be a part and be connected with other people in a way that you can share with their difficult times. You can share in their hardships. So it's an active part of being connected in each other's lives. Now, that's two ways. I would encourage you, brother or sister, to be one that allows people to bear burden for you. 
I got to admit that's a little bit against my nature. You know, if I'm carrying two bags and I come to the door, I find a way to hold two with one hand and open that door when somebody could just open the door for me. And they may be willing to do that, but I'm like, no, no, I got it. I got it. So that's the nature of some of us is we have to exercise and work at that being connected so others can, in fact, share the burden that's proper for them to share, bear one another's burdens. Now, he gives us the proper balance there because it's saying folks got to share their own burden, too. You don't just hand it off to somebody. If you read through that, you get that sense of balance. Verse 4 but let each one test his own work, then his reason to boast will be in himself and not in, alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So there's a bearing of our own load that we have to do. But in our connection, he wants us to be mindful of others and, and how we can minister to them. Again, that's a reflection, that's an impact that the gospel has on us and through us. The third thing I see is in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, I don't read that just for my benefit, but that's the word of God. What is he saying there? Let the one who is taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches. He's saying support God's ministry and God's people who minister. When you support God's people who minister, you are supporting the ministry, and when you do that, you show a love for Christ. Jesus says, if you just give a cup of cold water to one in my name, it's as if you've done it for me. What he's saying here is that we should support God's work. I thank God that Sweet Communion has, has, has been sustained by God through his people supporting this work. Supporting financially, yes. Supporting emotionally, spiritually, as we burden, as we pray, as we come alongside and encourage one another. But he says especially support that one who shares in the word so God's work can continue to go on. God is saying, look, I want you to be a part of allowing God's word to continue to go out. He, in essence, is saying, if I could put it in today's uh, 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 social community don't just watch on the internet a, a church show and throw your money at it come alongside to be a part walk alongside with those who are there who are ministering and become a part with them and share and build in their lives be connected with them as you share now, he continues this thing. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. He's saying, look, when you share in God's work, it's like planting a seed. You will see the impact and the effect of that. God's going to do something with that. Over 27 years ago, some of you had the heart that God wanted to do something in the lives of people in this city. And he has through your commitment and through your faithfulness. And he continues to do that. 
He says, there's a role for you in this. When you sow in this way, you will see spiritual benefits. If something happens when you sow, what you sow, the benefit you get later, in fact, much later, and what you sow, the benefit you get is much more than what you sowed. The principle of sowing and reaping. And so with that, he says this. Verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. Now, the good he's talking about is not just this charity work of going out. Some people think ministry is just going out and you see somebody in need and you minister to that need. That may be a part of it, but the whole point of that is giving the gospel out so that souls can be impacted, they can be saved, live for the Lord, and bring, be, be part of that team that sows more so that more can hear God's word and be impacted by the gospel. So he says in verse 6, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And he says, keep on doing that. Let us not grow weary of doing good. This is how we minister to each other. Continuing to emphasize the gospel and being a part of the gospel going out to God's people and to the world. This is how we impact the world. This is how we minister to others. This is how we do good. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Notice what he says at the close of this section. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. He's not just talking about walking down the street and looking for somebody, you know, the old lady who needs help walking across the street and do good, do a good deed for today. Let's do good by be partnering, partnering in the gospel, supporting those who are doing the work of the gospel, encouraging them so that the gospel can go out. The gospel then begins to impact all types of people. Do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. That, that's a remarkable phrase to me because he, he doesn't just say, hey, you need to go out and minister to the poor. Yeah, we do that. You need to help those who, who are needs. Yes, we do that. But especially to those who are the household of faith. You know why? Because that's what matters most. That's what matters most. You can start a ministry to feed the hungry in Milwaukee and it will never end. And it will continue because there will always be hungry. The point is, the, sorrow, the sorrowful point is, is even after they are fed... They're going to need more and more and more. And they're left in the same spiritual condition as when you came. So if they were to die that night after being fed, you've given them all that you can in that ministry, 
they still lack the most essential thing that's required when they stand before God. So the word of God is not saying don't feed them. It's saying feed them what's most important. And that's why it's important to minister to or support God's work in God's ministry because it's going to emphasize the gospel and it's the gospel that's going to impact lives. Paul, in his whole letter to the Galatians, is saying, look, here is the gospel and don't distort it and don't buy anybody who's preaching another gospel. Don't receive it. Walk in it and live in it that its impact be shown in your lives. Through that gospel, he's saying, you're going to be connected with God's people in wholesome ways. Not always ways that feel good, but in ways that are beneficial and fruitful for you and for them. And as you do that, God will continue to support his work through his people. He will encourage that. I'm so thankful that God does exactly what he promises to do. I'm not sure all that was in my mind in the dream that I had when starting this ministry. I know I didn't have in mind all that took place. There's no way I could foresee all of that. There's ups and there's downs. But God knew what he had in mind and what he wanted to do. And I thank God that as we continue in his work, he's clarifying more and more what we ought to do. And here's one thing that hasn't changed, is that we need to be centered and focused on God's word and the gospel, the impact that it should have in our lives and the impact it should have then as we impact each other's lives and take that gospel everywhere that we go. So God is continuing his work, and he will continue it. We thank God for what he's started. We thank you. Thank God for what he has sustained. We thank God for the means that he uses to do that. His people. It is remarkable how God has used the people that he has brought into this work to continue and to complete his work. I'm amazed at that. I'm amazed as you should be amazed every time you look at me, every time I look in the mirror, every time I look at you, every time you look in the mirror. Wow, God, this is what you got to work with. And yet you do so many amazing things. I thank God for that. When he says don't grow weary in doing well, he also says he also has in mind don't be fooled by the temporal things that ministries and people often judge themselves by. He says, don't be mocked. Don't be fooled. God is not mocked. Be not deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you will reap. And he says, those who sow to the flesh will reap to the flesh. Those who sow to the spirit will of the spirit reap eternal life. Don't be fooled 
by the successes and the measurements that other people use. And don't be discouraged by that. If I use that measurement, John the Baptist was a total failure. Even though he preached and was steadfast in the word of God, at the end of his life, he was killed by a little girl who hated God and honored her mother above him. Put to death by a wicked king. And nobody came to rescue him. Of all the souls he impacted, where were they when he needed him most? If you measured it by that, you would say, that's not a pretty story. Jesus himself would not be looked on as a success. He had few genuine followers. He had a whole lot of people who were curious. But if you notice, after he died, there were there were less than 150 people who were real. And even them struggled to believe what had actually happened when he died and rose from the dead. Don't measure by all the things the world measures and some even ministries are trying to measure by. God says, be not deceived. He's not mocked. You will reap what you sow. And he says in that, don't give up. Continue. Be faithful. Serve each other. Minister to each other. Support God's work and his word as it goes out. And don't give up. That's God's message today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your encouragement through the years. We thank you for the faithfulness that you have shown to us over the years. You have sustained us through sickness, through death, through hardships, through challenges. You've kept your work going, and we thank you for that. You've caused us to focus and to renew our focus on the gospel. We pray, Lord, that we will continue to, to do that. We pray, Lord, that you would bring about a fruit that brings glory and honor to you. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for your people and all that they have done in being obedient to you. May you raise up. And may you sustain that obedience and continue to raise up more to continue to follow that path and that model and that example that's been set before them. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we close our service, we encourage you to fellowship, and we will move immediately over to the fellowship hall. We will, I'll, once we get together, I'll pray for our food there, and we'll continue our fellowship and food then. Thank you.